right, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Russ and Jake Smith, Smitty Bates, out of northern Wisconsin. Since I did my homework, I could tell you the last time we talked to them was on episode 132. And so if you want to hear more from Russ and Jake, go check out episode 132. If I remember right, which I think I do, that was probably like right, I'm guessing that was probably right before a season started, potentially. Or maybe that was last fall. I can't remember. Anyways, it'd probably be about a year ago, but sometimes we put in bonus episodes in there and whatnot. So I guess I couldn't tell you what we talked about exactly. Maybe it was fall. What do you think, Brad? Any idea? I'm struggling to remember. I I was trying to remember, and I cannot think of it. So if it was 132, we're at what right now? I think we're at 191. This is episode 191, I think. So it was probably early fall last year then. It's been a while. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing it's probably going to be somewhere in that ballpark. I don't remember exactly, you know, what we talked about. Right. I do remember we talked to him. We had like a split episode. We talked to Kevin Pischke and we talked about Northern Wisconsin opener. And that was so. and I think that was, if I looked right, it was maybe like 116. So maybe it was a, a fall episode. Maybe we talked to him about fall fishing last fall. So maybe uh, you could jump in and who knows, maybe we talked about the exact same things. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know, Jeff. I mean, it, amazingly enough, these these podcasts just have kind of ran together, and it's weird. I think we've talked to this guy not too many weeks ago, and it's a year ago, and then I think that we haven't had somebody on for a year, and it's only two months ago. So they're all blending together. It's amazing to me. You know, I it's kind of a struggle sometimes. What who we talk to, what what we talk to, who, but it's always fun. That's for sure. Yeah, that's like the, it's our weekly conversation, right? Who do we talk to? What do we talk about? What's, what's this? What do people want to hear about? You know, I guess we should say if you, if you want, you could reach us on social media. Backlash Podcast is on Facebook and Instagram. You could also email us backlashpodcast at gmail.com. As uh, I always explain with that email, you may or may not get a response quickly or not. It really depends on what we're in the middle of because running our day-to-day businesses is far more important than the podcast because that's i guess what makes what makes the world go round right the podcast is just this fun little game i guess that we play it on in our spare time we'll call it spare time right brad can we say that we have spare time don't we yeah i think uh ultimately that's what it really is i mean uh we make the time every week to do this and and you make extra time because you're editing but uh it truly is something that i enjoy and i think you do as well yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, you know, we've talked about it many, many times. I mean, it's no, I make no bones about it. I'm not a professional muskie angler. I'm not a guide. That's, that's where Brad comes in. He's the, uh, he's the brains, you know, the muskie fishing brains behind the operation and I'm, I'm putting the rest of it together. So I still learn stuff out of it. I mean, I like to, sometimes I ask questions on stuff that I want to know more about so I can, you know, try to help catch an extra muskie or so. Cause you know, much like everybody listening to this podcast or many people that listen to this podcast, I only get out, you know, it's weekends or maybe it's a day during the week here or whatever. There's never a stretch where I go a week where I'm on the water every single day. And that just never happens, especially as much as I wanted to in the fall. It never does. I have two girls that play volleyball and I have two sons that play football. And on top of, you know, the day-to-day business stuff and just taking care of household stuff, there's just never, it never happens where I have a week. Fortunately for me, you know, it, it's kind of one of these bittersweet things, Brad. So football is just about done. Volleyball is just about done. So I find myself with more time, but I just always wish it was in September because that's still my favorite month. I do like October fishing a lot, but I don't like it as much as I like September. That's the month for me. Well, I think definitely September is the month that's probably the most stable, right? It's the first cool down, maybe the end of August, but you know, you go into September with a, a nice cool down, and it's a little bit more stable, let's say, than October. I mean, October can be 71 day and 35 the next day and cold, cold nights, and it's going to change the water temps. It's when we'll usually see turnover. So it's a little bit, bit more uh, volatile, if you will, you know, the month of October. But, man, it can be beautiful, and it can be a really good time to catch big fish. Well, speaking of volatility, it's happening right now. I mean, so today is Sunday. When we're recording this podcast, it'll come out on Wednesday and today is like 65, 60 degrees, not too bad. And it's supposed to bump up to like, I don't know, somewhere in like the seventies by Tuesday, 
But then by the weekend, I think right around the weekend, I mean, we're talking 55, I think I saw for high on Saturday, 44 was like a high on Sunday. And that's by me, that's not even north. And it's usually about four or five degrees cooler up north. So you're definitely going to see that yin yang that you're talking about right here in, in that volatility of October, right? I mean, we're going to live it here in about a week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know the bottom drops out probably right about the time uh, that this podcast comes out, Jeff. So we got two or three more days of, of decent warm weather. Man, it's going to be fall. <laughs> That's the best way to put it, right? So, you know, and the other thing I wanted to say too, Jeff, is you may be beating yourself up a little bit. You're saying you're not a professional muskie guy and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I don't care how much experience you have. I, I do think this, this podcast definitely brings something to the table for every aspect of every angler, right? So, you know, the arrogance in this sport can be large. And I, I would like to think of myself as being one that I can learn something on every episode as we're talking to people. It might be a reminder. It might be something that I've never thought of. But there's always a piece to the pie here that, that comes out and it, and it becomes very apparent as we do the podcast. So I love that part of it as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, I would agree with the part about the reminder. Sometimes you hear stuff and you're like, oh man, you know what? I haven't tried that in a long time or I haven't thought about that spot or I haven't whatever it would be. I mean, we, we talked to so many different people within the Muskie range that it's it's pretty cool. You know, I, I mean, I like that part about it. So like you said, the podcast, hopefully experienced inexperienced anglers alike they're all taking something out of it uh i know we can you know see their download numbers and so people are still listening at least they're they turn it on for a little while i don't know how long they listen for but at least they turn it on to start with so that's a that's a plus and uh hopefully we can you know hopefully this week you know much like every other week that you can take something from russ and jake i mean there's 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 hard to find two nicer guys in the sport and you know russ has obviously a buzz you know a, a ton a ton of experience lots of hours on the water you know, Jake has been pretty much, I think he was born in a boat darn near. So, I mean, he's, he's about the same, but great guys to have on. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you can take something out of this episode. And if you're still out chasing muskies and you're looking for gear, don't forget to check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. We have all your gear that you need for fall muskie fishing, whether it be the jerk baits that we talk a little bit about this, uh, episode from Smitty Baits, or you're talking about Suix, or you want the new flipper from Livingston, or, you know, you want some 10 inch Jake's or, you know, we even talk a little bit about bucktails in this episode. If you're still chasing down some bucktails, we didn't put away our order form. We just got a big order in from Musky Mayhem Tackle. We had a couple filler orders in from uh, Spanky Baits and Musky Frenzy as well. So check that stuff out. And then if you're looking for a custom bucktail or maybe you're looking to put together that trolling bucktail, why don't you check out Musky Mayhem Tackle. And Brad, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, we were the original Flashaboo large bladed baits. Muskie Mayhem Tackle. I mean, you can check us out. You can get a custom put together right on our website. It's muskiemayhemtackle.com. All right, Brad. Well, I think we rambled on for longer than we should have. Let's, uh, let's dial up our conversation that we had with Russ and Jake. All right. Our guests this week are Russ and Jake Smith, Smitty Bates, and they fish out of northern Wisconsin. And we took a break last week. We didn't talk about fall fishing, but we're going to change that up this week. We're definitely going to be talking fall fishing. We're going to talk turnover. And uh, I mean, it's, we're, we have a wealth of knowledge over here between uh, Brad and Jake and Russ. So we should be able to put something together. I'll throw in my two cents where applicable, but everybody knows that my two cents isn't worth much. So anyways, <laughs> guys, let's, let's, uh, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know that you guys just got off the water and we kind of put this one together last minute. So I appreciate you, uh, you know, whatever, foregoing dinner or whatever. I interrupted your plans on this Sunday evening to put this episode out. So thank you. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, let's start it off with an update. What have you guys been finding on the water as of, uh, I don't know, we'll say the last couple of weeks. What have we got for water temperatures and how's the fishing been? Fishing's been pretty decent. It hasn't been excellent. We've been working for every fish that we're catching. Um, the last uh, week I've had a couple good days followed by a couple slow days. And what I have been fishing uh, the last two days for uh, trophy fish, you know, fishing lakes that are hard or not action lakes. Uh, I had a father and son they, out on Thursday. And we had a double, then a 38 tiger and a 40 inch regular muskie. 
so we've been moving fish and seeing follows and uh, it's been pretty decent water temperatures are dropping um i had one lake that i was on in the last week was 52 degrees so they're getting there some of the smaller lakes are turning over so there's they're getting there and the bigger lakes are you know not turned over yet yeah i've been having some really good luck fishing suckers on the outside weed lines uh I've had some really good days. I had a four fish day one day last week, and uh, I think we ended up with like nine muskies in the last six days. So it was pretty good, and a couple of pretty good fish. We had a really nice tiger that was forty-one inches, and some other decent fish. And it seemed like the fish are in a small area uh, in the lake. If you can pick up one fish, just keep fishing that area and going back through it again or you can leave it alone and come back later. The the day we caught the four, we caught three of them within probably 100 yards of where the very first fish we caught was. Uh, same thing on a small lake I fished at, a weed bed out in the middle. We caught a fish there in the morning, a 42-incher, and then we uh, fished all over the lake, and about 2.30 in the afternoon, I said, let's go back to the spot we caught the fish, and we went back there. I dropped the sucker over the side, I dropped it right on a muskie's head and he grabbed it and took off with it before we even were ready to start casting or anything. It was right almost in the same spot as we caught the first one. So they've been concentrated in smaller areas, at least in my boat, I've been finding that. And uh, so if you do catch a fish, go back through there and uh, there's usually more than one in, in that area. So it's it's been pretty concentrated on some lakes. So you're definitely seeing the fish moving out from the, you know, we'll call that that shallow pattern that you would see in September. The fish are, are not holding as super shallow as they had been. Right. Say you're casting, a, we were casting a weed line and I was running my suckers. Um, it's always been on the deep one, although we caught one on the float. I'm running two suckers, one on a float and one deep with like, you know, two ounces of lead or something to get them down there. And at uh, the magic number for me, that one day where we caught four fish was uh, 14 feet. And that was on the outside of the, the cabbage. So um, that was kind of a magic number for me. Yeah, all the ones I've been getting to, it seemed to be a little bit deeper. Uh, I heard on your last podcast, or maybe it was the one before you were talking about, uh, you had your sucker right on the top. Was that you were right on the surface or something and you had one? Yep. That I was had quite Yep, that was last I had weekend. quite a few of those in um, September. I had a lot of those, you know, really shallow weeds where the sucker's like a foot down and, um, you know, you get to see them hit it sometimes, which is pretty cool. But, yeah, but recently they all seem to be off, uh, going off the edge a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about suckers before we move into, you know, into further fall fishing. How do you guys determine how deep you're going to be setting your suckers? And then I would imagine you guys can probably run at least two of them, I would think, in your boat, right? Yeah, I mostly run two. I have ran three, but it can be a, it can be trouble, um, especially if it's windy and you know different conditions. I I really stick to just using two of them, and um, you know the depth depends on the lake a lot of times. Like you know some of the lakes that we fish are not really deep lakes, so you know you might be fishing. You know if it's stained water, you you're still casting uh, near the weeds, but some of these lakes the weeds only grow to five feet of water or six feet of water if it's dark so you you might have your boat out in 12 or maybe 15 feet and still kind of casting up to the uh, weed edge and then other times you might be in a lake that you know your boat's in 40 or 50 feet of water and and working um you know the the cisco spawn a lot of times in the fall the the steepest drops of the lake um are the areas we target where the cisco's you know, come up at night to spawn and then they're on the edge during the daytime. So Jake, uh, you know, you're talking about doing that off in the deeper water. Are you always relating to some piece of structure while you're doing that? Yeah, we're usually, you know, like bars that run out, um, you know, flat and bars that run out from the shore, uh, working those a lot of times at the inside corners and then, you know, work around, depending on the size of the bar, you might work around the whole thing. Um, usually, yeah, relating to some type of structure. Yeah, there's places uh, on some of the lakes we fish that are like big flats that run off of, say, a point someplace. And one place we always catch fish at this time of the year, we, we call it the dinner plate because 
if you ran suckers down there almost every time you you drift over that spot during that day, you're going to get a pickup on it. You don't always catch them, but you're going to get a pickup in, off those spots like that. They like to hang off those, you know, deeper spots. And that, that could be a spot that's like 15 to 20 feet deep uh, that dinner plate was. So, and they seem to be at this time of the year, they'll be hanging off on some of those deeper spots like that. So, you know, when we talk suckers, I mean, we always talk about the sucker side of things, how you're, how you're working it and how, what you're going for. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, with you guys being able to run, say a sucker plus being able to cast at the same time, which we can't do here in Minnesota, you know, it's one line per angler here in Minnesota. So what are we doing with the other baits? Are you guys casting the whole time? Are you just trying to work suckers? Suckers aren't necessarily the easiest thing to deal with. I mean they're kind of a pain in the butt a lot of times. So <laughs> what are we doing on the other rods? Are we casting? Are we running rubber, wood? What are you guys doing? A lot of casting, um, like uh, with us, we have our clients casting, and a lot of times we're not casting at all. We're just, you know, like you said, it's a lot of trouble. We're playing with the suckers and untangling them and, you know, whatever you're snagging, sometimes logs and cribs can be a real pain, like you said, and then we'll have, Oh, we throw jerk baits a lot, wood jerk baits. If you're fishing those deeper Cisco lakes, we'll jig the fuzzy does it sometimes too, and that seems to help. That seems to draw the fish to the sucker. I know you can't do it in Minnesota, but it really works here. Uh, uh, we catch a lot more fish with casting combination with dragging suckers. Uh, I mean, I had just the other day a client that brought his son along, and the son never caught a musky yet and that was their goal for him to catch one and so they said why don't you cast too i said well if i cast i'm going to catch a fish and i want you guys to catch them so anyway so i started casting about 10 minutes and i hit i said oh there's a follow and i pulled my bait out of the water and the fish went down right down next to the boat and click 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 the sucker started going and i handed the young guy the pole and he caught his first uh, ever musky so that was kind of a cool thing that the, the lure is actually what brought about to the sucker. Definitely seems to be the case a lot of times when you're talking to guys that are running suckers. I love the confidence, Russ. You just said it right there. You said, uh, if I start casting, I'm going to end up catching a fish. Why are you so confident? <laughs> because I've done that so many times when somebody told me to cast. And I can remember another case where they said, come on, cast. So I said, okay, but I'm going to catch a fish. And it wasn't 10 minutes and I, and I caught one and then they said, Oh, that was just a lucky stab. And I said, yeah, it probably was. So I said, you still want me to cast? He said, yeah. So about a half hour later, I caught the second fish <laughs> and then they said, you can't cast no more today. <laughs> that sounds but, about yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds about right. But you know, I think there's more to it than just that too. One is your confidence, I believe, but the second component to that is a lot of times a cadence too, and and how you work a bait. And uh, exactly, it's super yeah. cool to hear you say that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. One time I was cast, I was casting a chunk of wood that had no paint on, and they were laughing at me and said, "You're not going to catch anything on that." And after the second fish, they said, "You can't cast no more <laughs> on a chunk of wood with no paint." <laughs> Those are the good ones. That's all you Those can say the about good that, ones. right? Those are the action. That one had the action that they liked that day. So, yeah, it's always fun to do that. I'm going to be fishing the next couple of days because I only have one client with me, and it's an old-time client I fished with for years. So I'll be casting the next few days. So I hope to get some teeth marks in some of my baits the next couple of days. Well, I wish you nothing but luck. Well, thank you. So, Russ, let's talk about that. So you're going to be casting the next couple of days. What's the combination going to be? Because I would imagine you're both probably not throwing the same bait. You're probably going to be switching it up a little bit. What uh, What do you think you're going to end up starting with? Well, I think that it uh, depends on, you know, the water temperature, if it's still going down or if it's still staying the same. Uh, if he's going to – I know this client that I'm fishing with the next few days, he, he likes throwing my dirt bait. So I'd probably still throw something else. I might throw – you know, uh, one of the spell bucktails for a while, and I might switch to one of our little crankbaits, but but work it kind of like a jerk bait. Especially if you get some stained water, I found that throwing a jointed bait that has a lot of vibration and makes a lot of rattling noise. If you work it like a jerk bait, it works better than tr- a straight in retrieve. 
because it kind of clicks together, makes noise, and then it just hangs there instead of gliding like a glider or, or a jerkbait glides off where the lip, the diving lip in the front kind of makes it stop. And that works pretty good if you're on stained water, and I've done really well with that this time of the year. You know, what I picked up there, Russ, is that you, you're talking about throwing one of your newer bucktails, one you guys just came out with this year. And so obviously you're still not afraid to be throwing bucktails at this time of year. No, sometimes, especially like we had this really cold day on Thursday that was like 30-some mile an hour winds, north, straight north. It was a brutal day to be out. And I don't think they wanted a big bait that day. They kind of liked some of the smaller stuff, uh, in which that's not a big bait at all. And uh, it uh, it works pretty good on those days where it's really a brutal cold front comes in. So you can still use stuff like that all the way until it frees up, actually. Yeah, last year I caught a couple really nice fish um, throwing double tens still in October. So they do work for sure. It's maybe something that they don't see the other anglers, you know, throwing as much you don't see a lot of guys in this area anyway throwing throwing bucktails that much brad you've talked about it for i mean well we're going on 190 some episodes so you've probably talked about it on you know a good handful of those in the fall about how you still have success on bucktails and i i found it interesting how russ said that he does too because i know based off sales you know the bucktail and i also know by looking at you know watching what anglers are throwing bucktails are very underutilized at this time of the year yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, there's certain lakes that, you know, you have to be on the water a lot to notice it, but there's certain lakes that really like bucktails, even like in late October and stuff. It still works good, and they like it over some of the other, uh, I know, gliders and jerkbaits. So are you typically, like, counting those down deeper in the water column, or are you just running them the same as you were, you know, whatever, six weeks ago when the weather, when the water was still warm? I'd say that I'm slowing. I might not be working it uh, deeper right off the bat if I'm throwing it to a weed line or, uh, you know, off of a bar. But I slow my retrieve a lot and then let the bait get quite a bit deeper than you normally would at, you know, warmer water temperatures. And that so the bait, when you get it to the boat, it's down there pretty far. And uh, that seems to work good, uh, slow rolling it instead of, like, you know, speeding it in or buzzing it in. It seems to work better working it slower and deeper i would agree completely with that statement and i think a lot of times fishermen are programmed to what they've read or what they've seen on tv so on and so forth more so than the fish are right and so oh yeah you know trying other baits that aren't typical of that season can really really put some more fish in a boat i haven't tried your new um is it the grenade Uh, that's the one that sinks Yep, that's that correct. You, yep. I, I would think that would, I'd like to um, give that one a try. I think that would be something that would work really good in the fall because you could count it down and, and retrieve it, you know, and you could probably get it down 15, 20 feet, no problem. You can, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it drops a foot a second, so made the math really simple. You know, if you want it to be down 15 feet, well, guess what? You count to 15, and as long as you're working at it at a slow to a moderate pace, it's going to stay right in that depth column too. Well, that's, that's a great tool to have because a lot of this stuff doesn't get that deep. And if you are fishing out deeper, like you say, you count it down to 15 feet and start your retrieve, which is, it's just another tool for us guys to catch fish with. And uh, it's a, it's a really good idea that you have there. Well, I appreciate that. It, uh, it definitely scored some fish last fall and, and throughout the whole season, but you know, it's just a, it's another look for these fish that they haven't really seen before. We make a, a jerk bait that is, you know, a lot heavier. It's a double weighted one. And we use that a lot because you can, you know, count it down and, and it stays down or all the way in, which that's what you need in the fall. I would agree 100% with that as well. You know, one of the things that I've noticed that I don't even know, 15, 20 years ago, it's really strange. You know, we, for a long time there, all we did was throw bulldogs, right? We were throwing mag dogs and pounders and whatever over here in Minnesota. And, and it really works, don't get me wrong. But it seems like you might go two days where they're wanting to eat rubber. That third day, they want wood. And it's really weird. And that might last a day or two, three days, whatever it might be. But when you're not catching on rubber, I would throw wood and vice versa, you know? And I think uh, big wooden jerkbaits, plastic jerkbaits, whatever they might be, 
are underutilized as well. I think everybody's so locked into predetermined that we need to throw rubber. Definitely jerk baits can be a huge key. Yeah, it can be pretty exciting when the fish are turned on on a piece of wood, and it's, it happens every year, you know, about this time that they really start working well, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, fishing, actually, the next few days. <laughs> well, I would imagine, you know, you, you probably get kind of a, I don't want to say, I don't want to say bored because that's probably not it, but it's definitely not as exciting if you're out there, you know, trying to make things happen. But I understand your position. You guys always want to, you know, get your clients on as many muskies as you can. So I, I get it, but I'm sure you, you got to get itchy once in a while to want to get out there and cast. Yeah. Especially when you get people that aren't really good casters and how important it is to place a cast in the right location say you're fishing a steep shoreline that has trees laying in and this and that and it's so important to put the bait in a key position and i know if you don't get it in there sometimes the first time and the guys are splashing their baits all around in there usually it doesn't work so that really good cast in the right position is going to pay off a lot more than three or four or five false casts and finally lay one in there and usually it's history then it's it's so important to have that first accurate cast in the right place let me ask you a question about that i guess how is it that you know where to put the cast is it just time on the water what is it i mean obviously russ you have as much time on the water as any one of us here is that the key to it all well i think use your using your eyes not worrying about looking at your depth finder say and you're just using your eyes for instance some of our lakes are lined like with bulrush beds and in a bulrush bed, it might be five, six feet deep right at the edge of the bulrushes. So the muskies actually can swim right through those bulrushes like nothing. They, they can go right through there and there's bait fish in there, perch and other things like that. So there's a little pocket, for instance, in the weed in the bulrush bed that goes back maybe say six, eight, ten feet, a uh, little pocket. And it's not very wide sometimes. And if you can make an accurate cast back in that pocket, that's the fish zone right there. And there's, you know, the chances you're going to get a strike or, you know, get a follow or something that's going to come out of that area. I've seen it happen many times over the years. Right now, there's uh, a lot of the lakes we're fishing have these uh, black dead uh, weeds uh, that are lined along the shoreline and casting right up to the edge of those. There's usually, you know, we've caught a lot of fish in these, uh, weeds and if you cast too far you know you land right into them and, and you know it's over you're pulling your bait full of these weeds out of there but if you can get it right on the edge that's you know being able to put it in that spot is very important i was just thinking of some clients from last week where i was picking out backlashes for put it this way i would have had about three years worth of backlash uh pictures for the social media platform um <laughs> <laughs> it was insane. We could have put them out one a day for like three years, and it was a, uh, it was a struggle. But that's what came to my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's like you put the guys in a great spot, and then they're backlashing, or their bait is up in a tree, and you're going in there trying to get the bait out of the tree, and all the spots that they should be casting, they just screwed up everything because of the fact that the boat going in there and all the commotion going in there. If there was a decent fish there, he's not there anymore. And that's so important. Uh, like Jake said too, these, some of these lakes where the weeds are dying, there's like a black line and there's little pockets between them and there's fish in there, but the guys throw it too far in and they're hung up in the weeds. And, uh, I'm not complaining about clients. I have a lot of good clients, but it's just a wasted cast. And you think if you were casting, you wouldn't have done that. And, you would have caught a fish probably out of some of those spots. A couple of years ago, I had two guys out and um, the one guy casts too far and he lands in the, in the weeds. And he's probably thinking, why are we fishing so close to these weeds this time of year? And, you know, his buddy puts one right on the edge and he says, oh, you're in the weeds just like me. And there was this huge boil and he set the hook and it was a 49 incher and it was laying up in, you know, five feet of water. And that was mid-October, so they're in there. Yeah, I, I'm not, by no means I would ever rip on anybody, but I, I do think that the more practice that they put in before they get in the boat with you, I mean, accuracy can make the difference. And you just, you hinted to that just a second ago. 
Yeah, it really does. It's really, and like I say, going and casting four or five times kind of around the spot isn't very good. It usually doesn't pay off, but one real accurate cast right into a little pocket or something like that is the one that's going to catch the fish. So it is important. I tried to stress that to people, but you know, nowadays with our good equipment and good rods and reels, it, you can be more accurate than, you know, say like the old days with an old fiberglass stick or whatever. And now you can be pretty accurate. And if you just take your time and lay one in there, it, it pays off better than four or five casts kind of around the spot. So yeah, that part is, is a big thing with uh, clients. That's the frustrating thing about being a guide a lot of times, but that's um, why they hired us. So they they learn and, you know, there are a lot of times they're beginner fishermen and, and you just have to expect that's something that's going to happen. And, you know, that's only one way to learn is by going out and fishing. And they're probably learning a lot more going with the guides. So that's a good start for them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that we used to do in the spring on 20, 25 years ago, we would just make it a game. A bunch of my buddies, you know, we'd be building baits and doing whatever in the shop. And then Carrie and myself and we would get out like four or five, five gallon buckets and we put them all over the yard. Right. And we just have a little uh, friendly competition just on accuracy, you know, who could put their baits inside that bucket. And I'll tell you what, it's a lot of fun to do that. And, and it's great practice because now you're judging distance. You're judging the placement of that bait to where you need to be. Definitely will help you when you get out on the water. Yeah. I'll take you fishing with me anytime. <laughs> Is that like a game you play like when you're in college with the ping pong balls? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it kind of would be, but you know what? We didn't we didn't add that component, Jake, but I think you could. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. So, let's move on a little bit to turnover. Turnover is one of those things that's like dreaded in the musky world. You know, and you being guides, you guys have to fish regardless of what the conditions are bringing you. Why don't you talk a little bit about turnover, you know, for anybody that doesn't know about it. And then why don't you talk a little bit about how you guys, I guess, maintain your, you know, your success on the water during this time of year? Well, I guess one of the key things that I do at turnover is I try to see if there's fish that are suspended. And then I might do a little trolling, but I still usually cast a lot during turnover. And one of the areas that I've found that really pays off is where you have, a, say, a weedy bay, and then you have a real deep slot running into the weedy bay. Say, it doesn't have to be real deep, but 20, 20, 25 feet maybe, and the, say the weeds are in six, eight feet of water, and the slot is a kind of a smaller slot. You could look at your maps and different things like that to find one like that. And it seems like a lot of those fish that moved off the weeds don't go too far. And I've had real much success fishing those little slots that run into these uh, weedy bays where there isn't any weeds at all, but the fish are just hanging out there. And, uh, you know, jerk baits and divers, and sometimes we'll throw some deep divers, like almost like a trolling size lure that gets down, digs down there pretty good. Like we got that Esox minnow that has the Cisco kid lip on it. That works pretty good casting uh, in those slots like that. And running suckers through there is very important too. And um, that's helped my success during turnover. Let me ask you this, Russ. Have you ever experienced where you see the fish go ultra shallow? You know, like that two foot range, maybe outside some rushes or uh, areas where you wouldn't normally necessarily fish. Definitely. And that's a very much overlooked area because everybody's thinking deep. Like I said, I'd go trolling maybe if I saw fish out there, but there's sometimes those fish are in real shallow because there's still bait fish in there. I mean, I can remember, I don't fish walleyes much in the fall anymore, but I can remember catching walleyes in shallow water after turnover. And, uh, if there's other bait fish, well, there's always like perch and northern pike and stuff like that in there. And that's part of a muskie's diet, too. They like northern pike, uh, little pike and stuff. So those fish still are hanging around in some of that slop. And you can get a really big fish in three feet of water, actually, at that time of year. And it's highly overlooked by almost everybody that muskie fishes. They're all thinking deep all the time after turnover. That's not always the case. 
Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I definitely wanted to bring up because it was never my style, right? But I will say that it definitely can be the place to be. And I'm not going to say that it happens that way every year, but right. man, I'll tell you what, some of the biggest fish I think that I've ever gotten to see in some of these systems is where you're up in that two foot. And I think some of it might be, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think some of it might be, you know, you have that bright sunny day. Yeah, it's cold, but that sun's going to penetrate that water quicker and warm up the, whether it be a sand bottom or maybe some rocks or even some of them green weeds that are still up there it warms up quicker. So I think maybe there's a little bit more comfort zone there as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Also, the wind sometimes seems to be a factor in that shallow stuff. When you get a wind, a fairly windy day and the wind's blowing into, say, a, a weed bed that's shallow like that, and you go fish all the way in as far as you can, and the wind seems to like bring bait fish or hold fish in there too. So I've had some good days on a windy day fishing in shallow water after turnover. Jake, do you have any uh, thing that you could maybe add to this? I mean, we kind of left you in the dust there for a second, but it's hard to, to top the things you guys were talking about. And it's, you know, my dad's got so much experience and I've, you know, learned a lot from him. I've, you know, learned some on my own and, uh, but you know, shallow water fishing, like you're talking about, it's, it's hard to do a lot of times with, you know, what kind of bait can you get through there? And, um, you know, you almost have to go to a, a surface lure. And I just would say anything slow that you can use through there. You know, if you use a, a rotating crop bait, you know, use it slowly. Use the, our flap tail, we use it slowly. And, it, you know, a bucktail, you might be able to plane it up high if you use a light weight one you know, through that, but that, you know, that's a hard area to fish a lot of times, but, um, my dad proved it, you know, and then last week he, his client got a, a 48 on a, on a flap tail and they were way up. And I, you know, we were on a group job and I, I skipped through there. I was ahead of them and I skipped through it. I thought, oh, I'm not going to go way up in there, but he proved me wrong. And he caught a 48 way up in like two feet of water. So it was in there. And, uh, I guess that's the spot that you always got to remember to check. So let me ask you guys this. I mean, this is kind of a, a loaded question in a sense, but, you know, when we think of turnover, do you think the whole lake flops all at one time? I mean, if you've got some smaller bays, have they already flopped? Have they, are they done flopping? You know, and I've noticed, like, say on one of my bigger lakes over in my neck of the woods, it seems like half that lake's turned where the other half still isn't quite finished with turnover. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, I was, I was talking to my dad actually before you got on. And I think that's definitely a thing. Like you could have a, you know, a, a really big lake that, you know, the main part of the lake might be 70 or 80 feet deep, but maybe the majority of the lake is only like 30 feet deep. So those bays definitely have to be turning um, as far as I would think you know, way before the rest of the, you know, the main lake, the main lake maybe is a week later that, it's, you know, warmer water. So it would take a little longer to switch, flip it over. And I've seen the case where I was on a big lake and it was just happening that day. And you could see actually a scum line where the separation uh, was a regular line between the clear water and the mixed up water. So, uh, it could happen that way where you actually use your eyes, which I always tell people we got all the fancy electronics, which is great, but sometimes just using your eyes will help you see some of that happening at the time when it actually is happening. I've been on lakes where it was happening and you could visibly see a line that was uh, turbulent and the rest of the lake was clear. And that was, of course, on a deep lake that had cirkles and stuff like that. And so it doesn't all flop just like that with a blink of the eye it, it takes a while and and some of your lakes take longer than others do and some of the shallow lakes maybe happen right away and uh, they're all cleared up and you can go that's one thing nice about our area here and uh, where we live there's small lakes that when you're experienced problems with turnover is you can go to some of these smaller lakes that already have been turned over and the fish are getting back to normal so there's some options that i always keying on uh, as far as producing fish and going to places that worked for me before and in cases like that. 
that's definitely something that I think a lot of people get hung up on, right? I mean, there's other lakes in the area. Great. You can go utilize that, but utilize the lake itself. And I agree with you 100%, Russ, that the crazy thing is, and especially with today's electronics, I think we all become more and more in tune with that versus using our eyes. And I love that you always bring that up. You know, use your eyes, pay attention to your surroundings, and you're probably going to know more from that than you will necessarily your electronics. Yeah, sometimes that's the key. Just look, just use your eyes and see what things look like. And that can be the key in catching a fish or, or just looking at a depth finder all day. Yeah, one of the funniest things that I always hear from Dick Pearson, he's like, oh, I'm caveman. You know, he's like, what's he, he calls it rock and string. That's his electronics, you know, and that's the way he grew up, <laughs> rock and string on, on what the depth was. And I've always appreciated that because... I can relate to that as well, but you know, we've been blessed with so many different kinds of electronics at this point in the, in the fishing world, but man, there's still something to be said about just those gut feelings and actually uh, paying attention to your surroundings. Exactly. On the flip side of paying attention to your surroundings, do you, do either of you two run any uh, live imaging? I don't have one. No, I am not using it yet. I'm, we were both thinking about getting into it. I bought a new outboard motor this year and then you know, just kind of like, well, maybe next year I'll, you know, go into the live scope, but you know, it's a, something, another tool. And, you know, it, it would be nice to know a lot of times if they're there and they're not hitting and, uh, or you know, I hear other people talk about, you know, the follow-ups and, you know, knowing that a fish followed you and you never, you never saw it. So that would be a nice tool to have for sure. I've given it some thought to, and I just uh, I thought about getting one this year. I could have afforded to buy one, but I still uh, still like fishing, I guess, the way I always have fished. But I know it's an, another tool, and it's something definitely that we have to think about. I think the interesting side to it, guys, and, and I've had it for a year now. I, I had it for ice fishing, right? I had the ice fishing bundle. I brought it into the boat last November when we started trolling and, it, and it's really cool because we're watching some of the down rod baits, you know, and Hey, mm -hmm. the, the, got a, it's got a fish coming up to it. Right. And I could jerk on the line. I could speed up. I could slow down, do all kinds of different things. It didn't necessarily mean I was going to get that fish to trigger right now. Right. I did happen where we did get them to trigger at different times as well, but it, it's always, it's more interaction, I guess, with your baits, right? So had I not had it on that bait, I wouldn't have known that we had some follows that day, right? But right. Uh, the one thing that I see it where I've utilized it, especially when I'm fishing deeper break lines or say I want to follow a weed line, I have that full, uh, 45 degrees off my bow so that I can see where that weed line is so that I have better boat control that's where I've utilized it probably more so than anything. And in have that angled 45 degrees off the bow, I can watch my two anglers that are in the front of the boat, bringing their baits in. But when I got anywhere from like probably 12, 14 feet of water and shallower, I found myself not even putting it in. So I don't know. I, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's going to utilize it in a different fashion or form. My experience with uh, with LiveScope, that's how I've utilized it. One, for trolling, two, for boat control, and also watching as my clients' baits are coming into the boat. I think being able to follow that weed line like you're talking about would be awesome to, to you know, use that to help you steer, you know, following the weed line. Uh, I also heard it's extremely, extremely frustrating with the live uh, suckers and uh you know watching them look at them and not eating them that's what someone was telling me so i could definitely see that i think you know it's really weird i'm my boat control has always been based off of utilizing my my bow mount depth right so i always have a transducer on my bow mount and the reason i've always done that is because i've always worked off of depths so if i know the weed line goes out to 17 foot well, guess what? I'm going to keep that boat in 20 foot, right? I've always done that. But the neat thing about having the live scope is I can go to a brand new body of water and work that same line. And I don't even really have to look at the depth. I, I know where that weed line is. And I'm going to keep the boat, say, 10 feet, 15 feet away from that weed line. 
and the depth becomes non-important. So it's kind of strange because, you know, <laughs> I've been doing this a long time before map cards and whatever, just no different than, than you, Russ. And I, you get accustomed to how you work and manipulate your boat. And then all these different technologies come out and it, it really changes your point of view, I guess, is the best way to say it. I guess you can teach an old dog new tricks, I guess, you know, that, that's oh, part of sure. it as well. So yeah, for sure. And I just like the idea of trying to learn the new technology. I think it's, it's really cool and how it becomes applicable to the way that you fish. And I'm just way into trying to figure out new stuff, you know? That's where my brain is anyway. Well, it's nothing wrong with having a tool like that because you're, it's a learning tool and, you know, I'm not necessarily going to catch you a lot more fish, but it is definitely a learning tool. I mean, uh, so there's nothing wrong with that at all. I have no problem with it. It's just that, you know, uh, I still don't have one, but I have been giving it some thought. So I'm not, I'm not uh, against having anything like that, but it's uh, like I say, if you can learn something, then it's valuable tool. Jeff, have you utilized anything? I own it. I don't use it. It's just, you know, like, well, what kind of, I kind of like it into what Russ said, you know, I use my eyes to catch muskies. Not to mention that I don't get out on the water nearly enough to just play with it. So for me to, I mean, we'll say, you know, if I would say from like August till now, I probably only had five, maybe six days on the water. I wasn't really willing to burn any of those days to just learn the technology. Sure. It would help me out in the future, but I, I was just more concentrated on trying to catch muskies and I guess, I don't know, for better or worse, that's what I did. I just put it to the side and I use, you know, I have it on a, that's portable. So I could take it ice fishing with me if I wanted, but I also could, I also use it. Like if I'm trolling in the fall, I'll use that as my map screen. So that's the only use I get out of it. I actually don't use my, my live imaging at all. I'm sure it hinders me in certain instances, but if I ever had time where I would had, you know, a couple days on the water and, you know, I had multiple days on the water, I would probably use it because I think, I think it's beneficial. I've actually had many people tell me how it's beneficial. They're like, you don't realize how long a muskie will hang around the boat after it follows in and then, or how it'll, you know, kick back out maybe 15 feet away from the boat and how you can run that bait right by it and, and you have it come back and, and get another shot at, you know, things like that. So I'm sure it has benefit obviously, but I just haven't put any of it to use. All right, so last week, Brad, myself, and Chris from Lungeon Lures, we had a little conversation about, like, how fast you're, you know, you're cruising around to uh, locate fish, like how fast you work spots. And I'm sure it's obviously got something to do with, you know, time of year, whether or not, you know, like right now you'd probably maybe be working slow. But typically, if you're out there trying to find fish, you don't have a lot of stuff located, fish moved, whatever, how fast are you guys working? I'm a pretty slow mover, you know, I, I know the spots where we've seen fish, where we've done well, and uh, I'm a slow guy. I just poke along, and uh, I don't know what my speed is. It's probably half a mile an hour or, or you know, something like that. In the summertime, yeah, I might be moving a little quicker. If you're throwing bucktails and stuff, you can cover a lot, you know, more bucktails and topwaters. You can cover spots a lot quicker, but right now, jerk baits, you know, you got to move them a little slower and, I'm a, yeah, I'm a slow guy. I guess I'm kind of a slower fisherman too. And, uh, you know, if you're out on the lake and nothing's happening and all your, all your, say your weed spots, I remember in a turnover period where there was a muskie on every point, you just skipped a lot of the shoreline and jumped from one point to the next to the next. And it was very successful. And then some days you could go back the very next day and you thought you had them figured out, but they weren't there anymore. And so then I start fishing on the other part of the lake where there was more rock structure and that's where they were. So the fish move and when you think you've got them figured out, there's always something else that comes up, but you got to have an open mind and say, let's try it. Let's try something different because all my points weren't working today. So we're going to go fish rocks, which it turned the day around and we caught some fish that day off of rocks. So you got to move around. Like I said, I, I was jumping from one point to the next because, there was there were fish on every point, and we caught quite a few fish uh, off those points at that time. Yeah, just the other day I had a guy out and his son. I think I talked about earlier, and uh, 
we, he, he caught a nice muskie and uh, we were, we're sitting there and, you know, he, he goes, maybe we should have a little lunch. I said, well, why, you know, you, you would think, why would you want to have lunch? You just caught a muskie. You should keep casting. So we sit and we have a sandwich, all those things, zik, 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 like that. The sucker goes out the back and we caught another muskie sitting sit in the same spot. And uh, just like my dad, he was talking about that a little earlier that, you know, there's the fish have been more fish uh, than just one in a spot. So they're, that's something to think about. I like catching those lunchtime musk- muskies. That's a bonus, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> So, Brad, I got to figure it out. It's just us Wisconsin guys. We like to move things a little bit slower. Maybe we're just... No, maybe ab- we're just, absolutely not. Maybe no, we're I just mean, slower in general. No, I don't think that at all. I I move the boat very, very slow. I'm very methodical about how I chop a piece of structure apart. But I think where you confused, Jeff, last week, what we were talking about is we're having a hard time locating fish. And, and where I said that I speed things up, is if I'm struggling and I can't find fish, I'm going to move the boat faster and chop it apart, just bang, 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 looking for an active fish to give it away exactly where they are. That's when I utilize speed. But I'm no different than what Jake said. He said 0.5. It's 0.4, 0.5 miles an hour when I'm moving across a piece of structure. That's how I'm going to chop that apart. And that's with three people in the boat. You know, if you have one or two guys in the boat, you're going to even need to go slower. And a lot of times I think, especially when you're in thicker weeds, you know, during that time of the season where you're fishing weeds, those fish, if they're down in those weeds at all, they're not going to see that bait if you're burning by them really fast. Now, if you're looking just for that one active fish, then I think speed can work, right? So there's two different ways to look at this. And I think maybe you got hung up on, what we were, how we were saying it last week. Well, I think I got it. Cause I, I that's kind of what I was figuring. Like if you, you know, if you're on a lake and you haven't seen the lake or you don't know much about the lake, obviously the faster you move along, I understand where you're going. You're going to try to contact more fish that way. And so that makes sense to me, but I also, I also got it, you know, like on their, on their instance, they're fishing water that they know. So they're going to, you know, move along a little slower, chop it up a little, a little more, Typically, even if I don't know the lake, I'm going to check out the map. I'm going to either do that or I'm going to do a couple trolling passes to see kind of what I'm dealing with. And then I'm going to pick out a few points at that, and then I'm still going to work slower. But I also think some of my point of view is a little bit jaded from the fact that I would say less than 50% of the time I'm fishing, I probably have somebody else in the boat with me. So inherently, I need to change up my tactics a little bit because... I don't want to have my cast be 20 feet apart from each other because I'm working too fast. I, there's just too much water in there. I might catch a, you know, you, you might get lucky and you might find an active fish, you know, wherever you, your cast land, that can happen at any point. But, you know, for me, I'm still trying to chop up those newer sections of body water a little bit more. Yeah, that just makes sense. I mean, I, I think that, you know, as a solo angler, you definitely could burn through a spot without ever locating those fish, right? If you, if you're moving too fast. And I mean, I, I guess that's the same way I think of it with, you know, two or three anglers in the boat. I, um, I definitely want to make sure that, uh, that I'm covering that area really thoroughly. And I don't know, you know, that that's a, I think you still got to go with your gut feelings too, right? I mean, if, if you feel like you're, you're not gaining ground on that whole deal, speeding up or slowing down can be part of that a component you know we have we do it on some some episodes i was gonna say hey guys if you could offer somebody some tips heading out here you know a tip from each one of you heading out here in the next you know a couple days temperatures are supposed to drop here in the midwest what can you offer up for uh for tips you guys think you can offer something up yeah i i mean we could just keep going right on with the uh you know slowing down thing and um picking your spots apart and um, you know, getting a sucker out, I definitely would want to do that. We, you know, we run two suckers a lot of times. If you're fishing by yourself, it might be too much of a pain to run two suckers, but get one out on the, on the deeper edge and, you know, working jerk baits, uh, up to the shells and, you know, just try to slow down. And that's one thing I would say is that I see a lot of people buzzing by, going way too fast through spots that you know are, are good spots and 
like, you know, you talked about looking at your map and if you don't know the lake, but you can pick out two or three spots and, you know, work those spots through and give them a lot of time and, and a fish will show up. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, if you have multiple people in a boat with you, definitely like for me, I'll be throwing something different or, you know, a client should be throwing something different. And sometimes you just key on in on what's working, what's having follows on and different things like that. The choice of baits, you might have a guy throwing your bulldog or your double 10 or whatever. And then the other guy throwing a jerk bait or a glide bait at this time of the year, working a jerk bait. Most people are working them way too fast. Like when I'm out there, guiding people i have to tell everybody to slow down because the reels that we have nowadays have such high speed gear ratios that the that jerk bait or the bulldog or double tens are just coming in way too fast for this time of the year you gotta tell i have to tell them every day i have to tell people to slow down and the jerk bait or glide bait especially the strikes always happen on the pause so make sure that you take enough time to give that bait that pause. And then after the pause, a short little twitch, and then go back to your regular uh, jerk, jerking the lure or glide bait, whatever you have. And uh, it seems to really work when you give it that pause in between. And as soon as you twitch it a little bit, you might only move the bait six inches when you do a short twitch, but that's when the fish is going to move on it. And, it's worked very well for me in, in this uh, fall period that we're coming to right now. Is your jerk bait of choice your nine inch jerk? Yes, it would be right now. Uh, for sure, Jeff, that's what I'd be throwing. Uh, I might throw uh, that thumper too. That's got like extra lead in it and it has like a paddle tail on the back, which actually slows the bait down quite a bit and you can get it down a lot deeper because it's, uh, it has double lead in it, so it actually sinks a little. And, and you can really work that one slow uh, as you get back into the later fall period. And the same thing, when you work that, let it have that pause and then short twitch and then start up your regular jerk retrieve. But uh, this little twitch sometimes in between really triggers strikes. And that's the difference between a guy that's not paying attention. He's just jerking it the same way all the time. I like to change my retrieve quite a bit on on each retrieve it's not always the same kind of jerk it's a shorter little twitch here and there and that trigger strikes more than anything excellent all right anybody got anything else you want to add to this episode before we wrap it up well i wanted to talk about the suckers a little bit jeff uh, like say uh i run two suckers and uh, i'm running one on a slip boat which I have the slip knot so you can adjust your depth. Say, if you're fishing, uh, say like I was the other day, it was uh, 20 foot or 14 foot uh, where the boat was. Uh, no matter what depth you're at, the, the deep sucker, I have like ounce and a half or so of lead so I can keep it straight under the boat. And I usually try to keep it real close to the bottom. I have a line counter reel on that one, which is a real aid for knowing where you're at. Also, it helps when the fit a muskie hits it that he can run the line and then you can look at your line counter and see how far he is from the boat i always try to tell the guys that if we get if we're out the fish runs 50 feet say or something we want to get back to about 30 feet or less for a good good solid hook set so it's important to be fairly close to the fish uh when when you have one like that uh in the deeper water but the, on the slip boat one no matter what the depth you say you're at in 20 feet of water i always set it halfway so uh roughly if it's 20 feet i'll have it down 10 or the other day where it was uh, 14 i had it down about seven feet or so so if you can keep it about halfway to whatever the maximum depth is where the boat is that's a good guideline to go if you're trailing uh, a couple of suckers uh, out there at this time of the year all right so jake and russ before we let you go recently you guys uh launched your website why don't you talk a little bit about where people can find you on the internet? And then if people are looking to book trips with you, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, our, our website um, didn't get hit quite as bad as yours, but we lost our domain name, but we did get it back now. So um, if you type in smittybait.com, it's uh, just one T S M I T Y B A I T. 
dot com. That's our website again. So you can get all of our information on there. Our our um, cell phone numbers, our email is on there. So if you want to book a trip, we're both booked up for the year. There's nothing open for this year, but you can, um, you know, try to get in for next year. Well, once again, we want to thank you both for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with the, with us. We hope that you, you know, you guys both uh, finish off your season with much success. And we want to thank our listeners for tuning in to another episode, and we'll find everybody with a new one again next Wednesday. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for that.